0: Revelation chapter 2. Woo-hoo. Um, I think this is the longest I've ever spent in one chapter. Uh, but it has been so good to just look at each church individually. I actually went through uh, some of my old notes, and the last time I went through Revelation, I actually was trying to knock out two or sometimes three churches each Sunday, uh, which I guess was okay. It's what the Lord led me to do then, but... Uh, I've enjoyed just looking at each one. And so hopefully it's not uh, too tedious. But as we're looking at these seven churches, and remember these are uh, churches that were all on the same trade route. They The same way they show up on this trade route is the same way that the letters addressed to them. And uh, it's important that it's these seven churches that are addressed. As I've talked about, these seven churches represent all of the church through all of church history, that any church that has existed ever anywhere falls into one of these seven categories. Uh, And there are certain time periods that the majority of the church fell into one of these seven categories. Uh, But even more than that, or I guess along with that, is that I believe that not only do we look at these as how it looks on a church, but for us individually, for the people that make up the church. So every family, every marriage, every individual. And I, I think that's important because it takes it from being a historical study of what was going on with these churches back then in that day to this is how it applies to me. That the things that they struggled with, the things that they dealt with are the same things that we still do. And the answer that the Lord gives to them is the same answer we need today. And with each one of them, there's a difference between how they see the Lord, things that they've misunderstood or things that they've forgotten, and what they need to see the Lord as. And so when he shows up to John in this amazing revelation of Jesus, the description that's given to John or that John gives of him then is the same description that's broken down into pieces and given out to each one of these churches. Because it's something they need to know or need to remember. When we looked at the church of Ephesus, remember that was the church. They were very busy, and they loved ministry, and they had lots of rules. But they had departed from the love of Jesus. And so that everything that they were doing was kind of in their own strength, and that they had to make it happen, and it was about their faithfulness, and their holiness, and their righteousness. And so they needed to know that Jesus was right there in their midst. That he was the one that held them in his hand. It were not their works, not their righteousness, not their rules, but the Lord himself was right there. We looked at the church of Smyrna that was facing great persecution. And this church does not receive any rebuke, uh, but they did know that though things were bad, they were about to get worse. And the Lord warns them to stop fearing the things that are to come. That this fear was starting to control them. Their fear was starting to, to, to take them off the focus of the Lord. And so to them, he reveals himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the Omega, the first and the last. The one who has overcome death itself. To tell them, I've got it all under control. I'm in charge of all things. Even this trial that you're about to go through. Stop fearing. Then we looked at Pergamus. Now, Pergamos, uh, again, as many of these churches, looked great on the outside, had a lot going on. And the problem was, is that they had begun to allow this false teaching to come in. Now, not a false teacher. So there wasn't somebody actively in that church that was teaching false doctrine. But they had taken ideas, specifically two of these ideas, and just began to kind of give ear to them within the church, So the first was the doctrine of Balaam. Um, And really the idea of that is that what you're doing, how you're serving the Lord, it's to get money. That however you cover it up, however you justify it, that's the very base of it all, is that financial gain. The second doctrine was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which uh, is very similar, only instead of just money, The idea is to serve or look like you're serving in order to gain power. The Nicolaitans were all about power and having authority over others. And so to them, the Lord says that he's the one with a sharp two-edged sword, that his word is the absolute final authority, that he is the one that's going to bring correction, that these Other false ideas making their way in. And people are like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I kind of like the idea of that. Just beginning to kind of turn their ear toward it, the Lord says, no, it is my word. It is my word that has all authority above everything. So today we look at the fourth church, the last church here in chapter 2, Thyatira. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord God, as always, we don't want to miss out on a thing you have for us. We pray that you give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. Holy Spirit, we commit this time to you and ourselves to you, and uh, just make your word come alive as we study it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be starting in verse 18, chapter two. And it says, to the church, excuse me, to the angel of the church. And Thyatira, right? These things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Thyatira, uh, as we've... Look at these seven cities that are brought out here in Revelations 2, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It was the smallest of them. Uh, in fact, in historical writings, it was a city that a lot of people just dismissed. And they're like, yeah, Thyatira is not important. And just we kind of dismiss it. Although it was a smaller town, it still had quite a bit of authority and, uh, and, and quite a bit of power. I wouldn't call it necessarily a wealthy city, but it had kind of been become the home base for a lot of the trade unions and, uh, and trade guilds of that whole region. That, not that the trades took place there, not that there was a huge amount of trade taking place, but for some reason they had set up their headquarters there. And so just that, having the main people over each one of those trade guilds, gave a lot of power to this small little town. Uh, its main export was purple dye, that was made from things found in that area, and purple cloth that was made from the dye. Uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 16, Lydia, who uh, Paul runs into, was a seller of purple from Thyatira. And it was considered very ex- extravagant. It was rare in its day. And so it was usually a color reserved for royalty and the, the very, very wealthy. And so, again, though they didn't have a lot of exports, that was a big one. And... Uh, It was, again, a small town, but it was a small town that was all about business. They didn't get uh, caught up in a lot of politics. And so as a result of that, while we've seen a couple other cities that were very, very uh, into persecuting the church, there isn't any historical record of the church being persecuted in Thyatira. That uh, as long as they didn't interrupt business, the the city seemed fine with the church taking place there and uh, never seem to have any conflict that we know of. And so, as always, the Lord, first of all, points out the things they're doing well, the things they're doing right. In verse 19, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Uh, Again, Jesus is not speaking in a sarcastic way, and he's not pointing to their lack of love or lack of faith. He's He's saying, you guys are doing well in these areas. Um, so he's sincere about that. And really, if you stopped right there, it's a great report. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we would want to be said about our church or about our lives, right? That people say, look, I see you serving the Lord. I see you loving the Lord. Uh, it's sincere. And, uh, and, and I think it's important to understand that these, these things were real for them. You know, the Lord says, I, li- I know your works and love. These were people involved in their community. They were encouraging other believers, and they were doing things not just within the church, but outside of the church. They were involved, right? And that they were motivated by love. They weren't doing it to get money or put butts in the seats or anything like that. They were doing it because they really cared about people, right? He talks about their service and faith and patience, right? So, I mean, they had an honest faith. They trusted in the Lord. They never backed down. They never denied him. It was an honest trust in Jesus. And uh, that they'd been doing it for a long time, that they've had patience in the things that they've done and that they've been serving one another. There's a big difference between doing works for people and serving people, right? And so there's a division there. So the Lord said, I know your works. I know what you're doing. You're busy and, and you're doing this. But then he breaks down, but you're actually serving them. Right? And that has everything to do with motive. They were serving people within the church, and I believe people with outside of the church as well. Again, if you stop there, it seems great. I think this is the church that if you visited, you'd be like, man, these people were great. You knew you'd probably come through the door, somebody would give you a big old hug. No COVID restrictions back then, of course. And and well, oh, come on in, sit down. Absolutely, hey, meet these people. And there'd be like all this like flurry of activity, and 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 they'd instantly try and plug you into one of their programs. Hey, we got a lot going on. We got stuff for kids. We got stuff for teens. We've got people, you know stuff for retired people. Where would you like to serve? What would you like to be a part of? There's a lot going on. And again, you go, wow, seems great. These people were pretty excited about what they're doing. Um, and you would find that. Every Sunday, every Bible study was something very uplifting, probably. Very encouraging. But it wouldn't be long before you realize there's never any mention of sin, never any mention of the cross, never any mention anything that might be offensive to anybody. It's all just happy, happy, joy, joy, right? That there's a lack of substance. And like we've seen with the church at Pergamos, there's been a backing up on the word of God. That while they still teach the word of God, they are backing away from anything that might offend. I think the sad thing is I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? I've run across so many people today—not I mean in our day—and you know the church they're looking for is Thyatira. They, that's what they want. They, they just want to show up, feel good, and go home. Don't tell me anything that's going to make me feel convicted or challenged or, or that I have to change something or tell anybody anything else. Just, I just want to feel good and go home. And it isn't that they're ignorant of the problems. And we're going to see that with Thyatira, there are some huge problems. In fact, I have talked to people at, that absolutely know, in fact, have sought out the church because of the problems it has. Because of the things they purposely avoid. Because, again, they don't want to hear it. This is a very popular church. And I think throughout church history, it's been a popular church. But I think especially in our day and age, many people are seeking out and embracing the church of Thyatira. Verse 20. says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into, into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the church shall know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Remember, Ephesus was a church that was all about doctrine, right, of biblical doctrine and truth, and uh, that was what they really prided themselves on, but they had completely left the love of Jesus. Pergamus. Uh, and Thyatira have some similarities because they've departed from doctrine and they have kind of done everything under the guise of love. Oh, let's just be loving people. Let's just be accepting people of whatever somebody's doing. Let's not tell them they're wrong. Let's not tell them they need to change anything. Let's not talk about sin or repentance or any of that. Let's be those that are just love, love, love all the time right the problem is that's not the definition of love love isn't telling somebody what they want to hear love's doing what's right and best really looking out for them right and sometimes that's speaking a hard truth Thyatira while Pergamus was kind of just starting to go in that direction Thyatira is full on right Pergamus was just kind of tuning their ear a little bit, turning their ear a little bit to those, those teachings. Thyatira has allowed a teacher to come in and put down roots. In fact, she has such a hold, while she probably didn't claim to have any authority over the church, oh, I'm not a leader, I'm not a pastor, what she was doing was subverting all the authority of the church. And there were those, not all, but there were those within the church that saw her as the final authority of, of what is true and what's not. That she was the keeper of some secret truth that everyone else was afraid to, to teach on or get near. And I found often that's the case. False teachers try and make their way in. And they're like, oh, I don't want to be in charge of anything. Oh, I don't want to be a, an elder or a leader or anything. But they just, just plant those seeds. Just, just cause that division. Just bring out the, those, those things that suddenly start to put them in charge, though they have no title, right? It's very subtle. And we've got to remember that with all of these churches, it's easy to see the extreme and go, whoa, we'd never allow that. These things are all so subtle. This comes about slowly and well-planned. Again, this is why the Word of God keeps us safe. It's the reason that we focus so much on the Word of God, because it's what keeps us safe. The more we get closer to the character and the personality of Jesus, man, the more obvious the counterfeits become. We don't need to study the counterfeits. We don't need to look at every false teacher or every false teaching Man, we just need to get closer to Jesus as we study His Word. And then when the false teacher comes along, then we just go, Something's not right there. Sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. Sometimes I can't quote a verse and go, Oh, it's this or whatever. I just go, Something's not right. Now, again, you know, thinking about our church personally, one of the things I've loved. And it isn't anything I've, I've planned, taught, or I don't know. Uh, I just see a healthiness in our body. And I've seen it for years that when a false teacher comes in or a person comes in with a wrong, destructive doctrine, and they do, I'd like to say it's never happened, but it happens fairly regularly. I, what I've seen every time amazes me is be, because before I'm even aware of it, one of you guys has already dealt with it. They'll go, oh, well, you know what? We've got this great idea or this deep truth or this something. And and it's usually you guys go, no, that's not true. Actually, the Bible says this, you know? And it's in a very loving way in a kind way, but it's a very firm way as well. And every time they're like, I'm in the wrong church, and out they go. And by the time I hear about it, I'm like, when did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) But I love it, right? I mean, again, it shows a, a healthiness to our church. It doesn't mean they were arrogant about that because we still need to be on our toes. But um, I've also seen other ministries and other churches where somebody comes in with some off-the-wall teaching and unfortunately people flock to them. Oh, you've got some deep truth I've never heard. Some secret no one's ever understood. No one's had the guts to teach on that before. Amen. again, they just subvert the authority of the church and the teaching of the word and, and people go flocking to them. And it's a huge comfort to me to see that that has not taken place here. Now, the difference between uh, Pergamos and Thyatira, like I said, is, is that Pergamos had embraced some wrong teaching, but Thyatira has embraced a false teacher and, and given her place. What we'll find is that the pastor or the leadership of the church is also aware of it and has done nothing to stop it. Um, Verse 20 says, you allow that woman Jezebel. Why would anyone allow a false teacher in? Why would anyone go, well, sure, okay. Well, again, I think part of it is because they have backed up on the word of God itself, right? They've started watering it down themselves for so long that they're pretty much open to whatever. Even as the leadership, they're open to whatever. But I've also seen where this person, whoever they are, starts to bring people into the church. And the leadership's going, well, I don't totally agree with what they're saying, but man, look what's happening. Look at all the people showing up. Look at the finances that have started rolling in. And so again, they back up on the word of God in order for some type of gain. We don't know that that was the case here, but it certainly has been seen often enough in our day and age where people, leadership, churches start looking at the short-term results and stop looking for the long-term fruit of the Lord, right? Because you can get short-term results pretty easily. I mean, you make a church entertaining, people show up. And you have a pretty big church. But the long-term fruit is destructive. Whereas teaching the Word of God, you might not see a church grow but those who are a part of it, if they're well-grounded in the Word, then there's good fruit born in their lives. That's what we're after. That's what we're after individually. That's what we're after as a church. Like I said, very common for people to take their, their, their focus off the Word of God, put it on money, put it on numbers, even put it on supernatural, uh, any kind of supernatural event. Right? Where all of a sudden it's about the Holy Spirit's doing this, the Holy Spirit's doing that, and there's a miracle, and here's a sign, and here's a wonder. Well, miracles and signs and wonders are real. Gifts of the Spirit are real. But when they become the focus, then we're actually working in contrary to what the Holy Spirit wants. Because the Holy Spirit is all about pointing to Jesus. And then signs and wonders confirm the message, they're never to be the focus. And man, again, I've seen people absolutely shipwrecked by the desire for the supernatural. And consistently, they also have backed up on the Word of God. When they do teach it, they just kind of cherry pick here and there, take stuff out of context. Right? And we've all heard those Bible studies where they'll open up, and it doesn't really matter what verse they read, and they read it with lots of conviction and excitement, and then they'll spend the next 45 minutes talking about whatever they want. It has nothing to do with that verse. You're like, why did they even read that? And they'll go, well, hey, we're teaching the Word of God. No, you read a verse. It's good, but that's not really teaching the Word of God. It certainly isn't teaching the full counsel. Now, this Jezebel, again, has found her home there in this church. Jezebel, of course, was probably not her name. Uh, It was a a pretty intense, and still remains to this day, a pretty intense insult, right? So when the Lord speaks of it, he's most likely pointing back to 1 Kings chapter 16, where Jezebel first shows up. She is the most evil woman in the entire Old Testament. Absolutely horrible. And she shows up there in, in verse, or excuse me, in 1 Kings 16, and marries King Ahab, who was a jerk. He was horrible. <laughs> and and she takes him to the next level of horrible, right? He was terrible on his own, already doing very evil things. She marries him, goes, Oh yeah, come on, let's let's ratchet this up a little bit, and takes him to a whole other level of evil. And then tries to spread that evil through the entire nation. And so the Lord is saying, this woman does the same thing. Verse 20 says, first of all, she calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. She sells herself as a prophetess. And again, this was probably very subtle. Showed up, went to church for a while, seemed to have a few insightful things to say, and then she drops... Well, I am a prophetess. Whoa, prophetess. Okay, that's cool, right? And everybody else is like, hey, do you know she's a prophetess? Like, she prophesy over you or whatever. And then she starts to teach a little bit more, right? And starts to, well, you know, if you, if you really want to know the deep things, there's, there's some pretty deep things that I know. Oh, really, right? And it's, it's like fishing. She's just throwing out lines. As soon as somebody seems interested, hooks them, reels them in. She doesn't need a lot, just a few. And suddenly she's got a, a group of people that see her as the authority above everything else, the one that's got the deep insights, And so she's able to then slowly start introducing these other things, seducing the people. And the idea with both of these things, as it talks about seduction and it talks about idolatry, or adultery, I mean, is that they're both physical and Spiritual that there is a spiritual seduction taking place. I've got the secret things you don't know. I'm the key to everything you've ever hoped for, right? But then there is also a physical side to it as well that's just a sexual immorality. And so she starts drawing people in a little bit at a time, and the Lord is making it clear. She calls herself a prophetess. She's not mine. She does not speak for me. She has nothing to do with me. She is Jezebel, leading my people astray. And again, leading them into sexual immorality and leading them into idol worship, eating things sacrificed to idols. Now, some people get that confused because they're like, wait a second, didn't Paul deal with that whole thing and eating things sacrificed to idols? And he said, hey, don't even sweat it. Don't worry about it. Just eat whatever's set before you. Well, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 10 was that That Don't worry about meat. I mean, to those who have knowledge, we know that food is food, and there's no supernatural thing or demon or power attached to that. So don't worry about where that food came from. Just eat it. What they're talking about here, what the Lord's talking about here, is that she has seduced people into believing what the pagans believed, is that the food or the animal sacrifice there in the temple had received some supernatural power. And if you eat that meat you will also receive supernatural power, right? So taking them right back into the pagan religions, and in a way, it's, it's witchcraft. That She's leading them right back into, like, oh, you want something deep? You want the supernatural power? Then the pagans actually have this part right. Now, after laying out all the problems that are going on, Jesus gives them a very, Stern warning. And this is why his description is important that was given to us in verse 18. The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. The Son of God is the idea of absolute authority. Sometimes in our culture, we think of the Son being less than the Father. But in the Hebrew and also in the Roman culture, that the Son had the same authority power or authority as the father when he got to the certain age of manhood right that there wasn't it wasn't less and greater it was equal and so by saying that he is the son of god absolute full authority eyes like a flame of fire is the picture of a purifying penetrating view that is able to judge with perfect justice that he looks through every facade, he looks through every fake thing in our lives, everything that we've hidden, that's on the inside, that we don't admit to anybody else, he sees it all. And he is able to judge perfectly. He never overdoes it, he never underdoes it, all right? He sees all, he knows all. Feet like fine brass. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was called bronze, in the New Testament it's called brass, Uh, And the picture is the same, that it is a picture, again, of judgment. Now here, it's interesting because it has a double meaning. The fact that it's his feet are important because it's the judgment, at least the first meaning is it is the judgment that Jesus has walked through for us, that he has taken that price that we owed upon himself. And the second part of that meaning is which qualifies him to judge perfectly. Right? He doesn't judge from a place not understanding our pain, not understanding our temptations. In fact, he's walked through all of it and paid the price of all of it. Therefore, he judges perfectly. Right. I think it's important also, concerning the judgment to come on this church or on this woman and the people who follow her, is that he has given her time to repent. Too often people, you know, push and push and push or they walk just outright in sin. And when it all comes down, they go, how could God do this to me? Why wasn't there a warning? Well, there was, first of all, the word of God that said, if you do this, there's a bad outcome at the end of it, right? Oh yeah, but I didn't believe that. Well, there you go, right? There's repercussions. There's natural consequences. Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent of of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Um, No one should ever be blindsided when God has to deal with them because he warns and he warns and he warns, and when we won't listen, he needs to turn up the volume. And I think it's important, you know, as we get into Revelation and the time of the rapture, I truly believe is at the beginning. And so when the rapture takes place and the churches is whisked away, those who are there are there for the next seven years, for the most horrible seven years in the history of all mankind. And I've had people say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, they've been warned, just like the people in the days of Noah. Noah warned, and he warned, and he preached righteousness in his day, and though they've been warned, and though they've been given time to repent, it is time that is limited, and the day of judgment falls, and when it does, it's too late. Now, it's not too late for them to repent after, and even as it speaks of this woman, uh, it though she says it'll, she'll be cast into a sickbed in verse 22, and there's all these things that, that are going to take place because she has not listened, um, never says she can't repent. And even for those who are following her, they are given time to still repent. Their warning comes to them that they have to repent. To those who commit adultery with her, They will be cast into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Still an open door. It's not too late. Now, I think a lot of times we get freaked out about the idea of God's judgment. We're like, oh, will God judge us? Well, we go through a hard time. Things go wrong in our life. like, Am I being judged? Did I miss something? Again, I believe that God gives us plenty of clarity and plenty of time to go, I need to change this in my life. And if we choose not to, then, yeah, there's a judgment. But I've found more often than not that the judgment that falls upon our lives is the natural consequences of our decisions. And even here in reading what's going on with a woman, they didn't understand a lot of disease and transmission of germs and whatnot and viruses and everything back in the day. But for us now, we can read this and go, okay, this makes a lot of sense. (laughs) She's leading a very immoral life. She's leading other people into that same immoral life. Natural consequences are pretty straightforward, right? And that's how God's warning to us about all sin is. If you do this, it's going to damage your body and it's going to damage your soul. And I'm trying to save you from it, right? It isn't that God's like, ew, yuck, sin, ew, I can't be around it. He's like, no, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to keep you safe from the things that are going to do you harm. I don't want to see your heart hardened. I don't want to see your life diminished, I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly and these things are ripping you off. And if people choose to be ripped off, then there are natural consequences. But I think also it's important to remember is the idea of his eyes of fire and that perfect judgment is that it is for refinement. This isn't a judgment about their soul. This isn't a judgment about their salvation. This is a judgment to come to refine them, to bring them back to a place of repentance, to make their walk stronger than it's ever been before. He's got to deal with the cancer of this sin that has taken place in the church, and those who will not repent of it, they would continue to spread it. They will be dealt with as well. For Jezebel, it says that she will be cast into a sickbed. Also, her followers will fall into great tribulation and kill her children with death, which is most likely a reference to her close disciples, to not just those who were kind of following her, oh, this is an interesting teaching, but those that were very close to her as her own personal disciples. And again, we can look at it and go, man, that seems harsh. But it's to bring them all to the place of repentance. It is to protect the church. And not just the church there at Thyatira, but the whole church. In verse 23, it says, And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Again, it's about that, the eyes like a flame of fire. Man, I see it all. I see it all. I see everything going on. And again, that terrifies us to some degree because we're like, oh my goodness, you know, these things that we, we hide or we think we hide and the Lord sees through them all. But it's actually really great news because he's saying, look, I see it all and I love you. I know you better than you know yourself and I love you. And I want to refine you. I want your life to be abundant. And I want your life to be free. And I'm willing to walk through this valley and go through this process with you that you would be set free from these things. And I see it all. Some mistake that time given to repent as actually permission from the Lord. And that's a horrible mistake. I remember years ago, sitting down with a pastor who admitted he'd been in an affair for over two years. And he said, but I think the Lord's fine with it because nothing's happened. And I just went, dude, you are on thin ice. And right after that, it all fell apart for him. And he never came back. Never came back to that same place that he had been given time to repent. And instead, he wanted to see that as time, as permission for his sin. Horrifying. All right, verse 24. It says, Now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put no other burden on you, but hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end To him I will give the power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also receive from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love that after all of this, we kind of get a little bit more insight to what's taking place in the church there at Thyatira. While this woman has come in with all this false teaching, we don't know how big of a group is following her. It may have been fairly small, but there were others in the church and leadership in the church that knew about it, but there was still the faithful that went, this is wrong. And to them, it was a burden to know this is wrong. It's taking place in our church. And it's not like today, like you don't like this church. You just go across the street, pretty much another church. I mean, literally here you could go like, right down church row and pick as many as you wanted. Back then, there's one church in your city. And if something horrible was taking place there, you could write to the disciples or to the church leadership in Jerusalem or something like that, but you were in it for the long haul. And so to these people who who have just been praying, just been waiting, just trying to be the example, to not get sucked in all of this, the Lord says, I'll lay no other burden on you. I'm not going to add one more thing to you. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to tell you that you should do this or that. I'm not going to lay anything on you. You just hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you're already doing. Keep loving people. Keep loving your family. Keep serving Jesus. No other burden laid upon them. And again, to me, that's a great comfort because it'd be really easy to be those people and just constantly beating yourself up. Oh, I should have done more. I should have said this. I should have done that. Why aren't things changing, right? And take all that responsibility on. And the Lord goes, no, I'm not laying anything on you. To him who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him, I will give the power over the nations. Now it's interesting because he says my works instead of my word or my faith as he's used in the past. Um, but this is the same idea. We've talked about it a lot in the past that a true faith produces good works, right? They, this isn't a salvation of works. This isn't anything like that. He's just saying, look, if, if you love me and you know me, then good works are going to follow in your life. Just keep on doing what you're doing. That our faith is made evident by the work in our life, by the action, not just by the words. And then he promises them something interesting. And he does it in a couple different ways. He says that they will rule and reign, and then he says that he will give them the morning star. So what he's telling them, the morning star is Jesus himself. He's saying, "I will give you myself, and you and I." We'll rule and reign together. Not, and that's a crazy idea. That's something I think we have trouble getting, is that in the end, when it's all over, new heaven and new earth and we're there, the Lord is like, we're going to serve together. You and I, shoulder to shoulder, serving together. And you'll know me at a level nobody else has. We'll have a deeper relationship than you even knew was possible. I will give you myself. And why that's such a cool contrast is because it's really in contrast to these people that are running and chasing after all the the treasures this world has to offer, whether that's money or power or even supernatural types of interactions and and events in their life. And everything they're running after is fleeting and, and temporary. And the Lord is promising, I'm going to give you this forever. It's the depth that they're looking for but you're going to have it. The thing that you desire, at your greatest core, at the very core of who you are, I'm going to fulfill it. Now these, again, who are running after Jezebel, are trying to fill some deep desire in themselves. And they think that somehow she's got the answer. Whatever it is, it's taking them away from, from the Lord. And this is where we get to the application. Right, Because, again, we can look at this just church history, and that's interesting. And, yeah, we know, we've been to churches like this, or we've seen churches like that. But how does this look when we talk about our lives, when we talk about our families, our marriages, us individually? I think it's still pretty subtle. You know, when we looked at Pergamus. that's what I said, is that it's that subtle influence of somebody that's just kind of speaking into your life, taking you in the wrong direction. That's where it starts. But in the case of Thyatira, it's gone to a whole other level. So that person or that thing or whatever it is that you kind of started tuning your ear towards now has huge control over your life. And that can be a a friend that gives bad advice or is a bad influence It can be a personality or an influencer in in media or on social media, whatever it might be. I think it can also be an object or a substance. Again, I've known people that are like, hey, you know what, even as Christians, we've got freedom and we can do this. And they start, you know, getting into, you know, just messing around with drugs a little bit or drinking a little bit more than they should. Oh, yeah, we got freedom. And all of a sudden, it's got a huge hold on their life, far more than they realized. And it's ruling them. I think that's what Jezebel looks like. That it started off as, as something as a curiosity or maybe something we just started listening to, and now they've got a huge sway over our lives. Whatever it is, whoever it might be, it's taking us away from Jesus. It's pulling us off course. It's taking us just a few degrees off, but that's going to gain over time, and we're, we're getting away from Jesus. We're getting away from the power of his Word. And the importance of his word. Now again, just as it's given to us here, honestly, the answer is pretty simple. Repent. Whatever that is, if that's something in in, in our lives, again, the Lord is faithful to give us time to repent and to show us what we need to repent of. It's that thing that's been gnawing at the back of your mind going, you got to stop that. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit going, this has more control over you than you realize Maybe it's other people in your life going, you got to lay that down. We need to repent. Turn our direction back to Jesus. Make ourselves accountable to others. To go, look, this is a bigger problem than I realized. I need your prayer. I need your support. I need to know you're here with me. And the good news is, is that, man, To him who overcomes, he's not going to put any other burden on you. He's not going to weigh you down some guilt, shame, wagging his finger at you. He loves you. He has looked at your life with his eyes of fire to refine, to bring about the abundant life in you, to set you free from these things that you didn't realize had such a huge hold over you. Simply hold fast to what you have until the Lord comes back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your patience and your love for us. Lord, and we invite you, look into our lives. We want you to refine us. We want to be used by you. We want to set ourselves free. We want you to set us free from these things that hold us back and these things that have taken us off course. God, have your way. Show us what we need to repent of, what things are are drawing us away. And Lord, show us how to hold fast to you and to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.